Welcome to the Leadership Institute's Wednesday Wake Up Club Breakfast Podcast. September's breakfast speaker was Gabrielle Bachet, president and founder of The Millennial Solution. In this talk, recorded live on September 5th, 2018 at the Leadership Institute's Stephen P.J. Wood Building in Arlington, Virginia, Gabrielle spoke on how conservatives can engage millennials. Good morning, everyone. Really, really um, a huge honor to be here. I have been uh, not only a huge fan of Leadership Institute, I've been a recipient of the really amazing work that LI has done. One of my first engagements with Leadership Institute was when I was 15 years old. My mom drove me from Sacramento, California over to Stanford to take one of uh, the campus courses there for students. And I was 15 years old, knew that I had a passion for politics, but I had never seen someone give me a strategy for how I would be able to articulate not only what I believed and why I believed it, but really give me the tools to be able to implement that on my campus and beyond. So thank you very much, Morton, for the great work that you and the Leadership Institute have done. Yeah, we can clap for that. It's not too early for clapping. A lot has happened and a lot has changed from my first engagement with the Leadership Institute. I've come back and done multiple trainings from LI, even going to Europe and spending some time uh, in their fundraising school over there. But I've also, too, come back and had the opportunity to teach multiple courses, including communication. But one of my favorite moments working with Leadership Institute, I was in a classroom not far from here, teaching nonverbal communication to a room full of uh, attendees. So I had walked in, I began my presentation prompt and began sharing kind of the principles of nonverbal communication. I'm a professional speaker. I've spoken all over the world. I'm a TEDx speaker. I had multiple opportunities to, to speak in front of multiple audiences. I'm speaking on nonverbal communication. And as I'm speaking, there's someone over here in the corner talking. Now, if any of you have done any sort of public speaking and someone is talking, it is incredibly distracting. And so I am in the midst of my presentation. After 10 minutes, I finally just turned to this woman. I said, I am so sorry, ma'am. Can you please, you know, save your conversation for afterwards? And she looks at me and she goes, oh, I'm your translator. And I was like, oh. And she's like, all of these students are from Mongolia. And I was like, carry on. Okay. So... That was one of those moments that I realized that the Leadership Institute span is so much larger than just my own generation and even my own country. The impact really is international in scope. I'm really excited this morning to share with you not only my personal journey, but some of the lessons that I've learned working with major brands of how do you attract and engage this next generation. As Dee had mentioned, there's this huge uh, debate out there about whether or not millennials will or won't be conservative, whether they'll ever, ever vote for us, if there's a third party ensuing, and frankly, just what are we going to do with this millennial problem? I first started studying my generation when I was 17. I was finishing up high school, going into college, and had spent uh, much of my time on campus, campus activism and working with faith leaders there. And I remember as I was exiting high school, going into college, I really felt like I wanted to you know, kind of record some of my experiences, the things that I wish I had learned at a younger age. And so I wrote a book. So I wrote my first book, uh, which isn't in print anymore, thank goodness, um, but I wrote it as I went into, into college. And oftentimes people will tell me, oh my goodness, Gabrielle, that's incredible. You wrote your first book when you were 17 years old? Like, it is not that impressive. I was five foot nine, had more braces than teeth. Like, I didn't have a boyfriend. There was not a lot else going on in my social life. So writing a book kind of seemed like a natural next step of what to do with my free time. 
So I've been writing books ever since. And that experience of studying my generation, I wrote it for faith leaders, how they can reach and retain my generation within the church. And I wrote that because I'd seen so many people of an older generation try and be so relevant to my generation, and in it, they lost their authenticity. And in it, my generation wanted to have a real relationship with other generations, but I saw an older generation thinking that they had to wear, you know, the skinny jeans and have the crazy hair and, you know, have, you know, LED lights everywhere in order to be relevant to millennials. And that simply isn't the case. What I found, and I've studied millennials for over 11 years now, which makes me feel real old, uh, what I've studied with my generation is that first and foremost, millennials are craving authenticity. They're looking for someone to give them an authentic uh, perspective of the world. This generation, my generation, uh, who's born between 1982 and 2000, those are the numbers that I use and my research firm uses. Uh, many people are now inventing their own generation. So if any of you have some free time on the weekends and you want to invent a generation, apparently it's a thing, like this zenial thing. It's not a thing, folks. It is not a thing. Uh, and everyone's going to ask me about Generation Z, the following generation, which I can take during questions because a lot of times when I'm working with business owners and leaders and executives, they're all like, what about Gen Z? Does it get less depressing with the next generation? Not necessarily. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but what we're when I'm talking about millennials, I talk about 1982 to 2000. That's what the U.S. Census Bureau uses. That's what my research firm uses. But what we've actually discovered is this massive generation. There are 83 million millennials in the United States alone. If millennials were a country, we'd be the same size as Germany. So when it comes to reaching this next generation, you can't just ignore them. What I've found working with leaders, and I've worked with everyone from the CIA to Library of Congress to, uh, to uh, Google and Microsoft, when it comes to reaching this next generation, I found that there's really three approaches that I see folks take. There's the ignore them approach, right? Close your eyes and you know just hope that they either go away or grow up. I see that all the time where they're saying, well, yeah, millennials are really entitled right now, or yeah, millennials don't vote right now, or yeah, millennials aren't going to buy a home right now, but they will later. Interestingly enough, all the research that we've done actually shows that many millennials, as they're hitting their later 30s, are still retaining a lot of the same characteristics. They're, they're, the reason that they're buying, voting, and going to the places of work that they're going still stay the same as when they were in their 20s. So you can't just ignore them and hope they go away. The second option is to tolerate them. Hold your nose and hope that somehow this is all going to work out in the end. I see that all the time, especially within political movements, is sure, we'll, we'll let the millennials in, you know, but we'll just make them be the interns or the gophers or, you know, the door knockers. Let's just have them do the things that we don't really want to do. Or my personal favorite is we'll make them the social media directors, right? They're young. They get this Twitter business. Let's just put them in charge of everything. When in reality, maybe that young person isn't perfectly equipped to do social media. Maybe there's someone who's in their 50s or 60s on your team who's better at Twitter or Facebook. So this mindset of, okay, well, let's just tolerate them and hope that maybe we get enough young people who are young on the outside but really old on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? I think the conservative movement does a really great job of that. Like, I'm not worried about that side of the conservative movement. Like, we've got, like, the frat houses and the sorority sisters. Like, we've got the people who were raised in very conservative homes with conservative parents. I want, for my generation, I want the beard oil hipster millennials, right? 
I want to go to breweries and see, you know, conversations about the free market and Hayek going on. You know, that's what I want. I want a generation who, in the depths of their culture, are embracing these conservative principles because the principles work no matter who you are or how you style your hair. The principles are the things that will change this country and bring it back to where it needs to be. And the third option I see people taking, there aren't enough of them, but there are those that are, that are out there. And the third is engaging. You have the option to engage this next generation. And engagement looks different for different people. It looks different for different movements. So again, I work with major brands, helping them market to millennials. Uh, I help them. I identify ways that they can recruit millennials to come in and work for them. And then I help political movements transform their messaging into terms and phrases that this next generation gets excited about. Because when it comes to reaching this next generation, it really has to start with empowerment. So I want to share with you the three big lessons that I've learned of what it's going to take to reach the next generation. The first really comes down to teaching resourcefulness. Now, if I were to ask you what's one word associated with the millennial generation, good, bad, or indifferent, what do you think it is? Entitled? What else? Naive. What else? It's good. This is a safe space, right? I mean, we're not on a college campus and like there's no Play-Doh in front of you, but superficial. Okay, great. Let's just get it off your chest. We're all thinking it right now. Short attention span from Morton. Got it. Lack of eye contact. Yep, absolutely. It's going to get even worse with Generation Z, which is real depressing. She goes, I know I teach them. Okay, what else? I'm sorry? Online. Absolutely. In debt, absolutely in debt. Did you say ignorant? Yep. Okay, what else? Lazy. Lazy. From a millennial. I appreciate that. <laughs> Idealistic. Now someone likes us. Okay, we're getting better. What else? Lack depth. Okay, great. So I've heard all of this, and you are way too nice this morning. I do this with executive. Oh, good. Let's hear it. They, even though they're a college graduate, they don't know anything. Yeah. It is incredibly poor. Yep, Brian? Yes, uh, very experience driven. Yep. Naive. Absolutely. She, she, she's like, we just got to really make sure that we're covering it. So everyone has their own experience with millennials. They're either the best generation in the world or they're the worst generation in the world, you know, depending on, you know, who your kids are and whether or not you like them or not, right? They're either the, the future of the movement or, you know, it's all going downhill real fast, depending on who they voted for, right? And this idea of how do we bridge the generation gap is something that has not only fueled my company, it's fueled my purpose for the last 12 years. At my core, my most passionate moments are when I'm able to help leaders understand who this generation is in a true and authentic way. So I want to be able to do that for you today. So you guys got it right off the bat. The number one word that we see associated with the next generation is entitled. This idea that millennials exist, therefore they deserve. And I certainly, in all of my research, I do want to say that there is some truth to that. However, 
I want to share with you what entitlement means. So I've got some books for sale out there. One of them is Five Millennial Myths, where I actually break down the five biggest myths associated with millennials, explain why it is and whether or not it's true or not. Number one, you guessed it, is entitled. This idea that millennials have you know, shown up and they want a trophy or a hug or a raise just for being is something that we see across the board and even across the world. We actually have been studying millennials, particularly in Europe, Africa, and Asia, and Latin America this last year, looking at whether or not there are these trends that span um, the, the universal spectrum, not just here in the United States. And we've certainly seen that those things tend to be true. So when it comes to millennials and entitlement, this next generation is entitled, but it's really because of one word. And this is incredibly important, whether you're parenting millennials, mentoring millennials, teaching millennials, and that word is expectations. This generation has had expectations set for us outside of the realm of oftentimes reality, but sometimes even outside of the realm of, of their own control. So millennials, when we went to college, when we, when we graduated, we were promised a good job, right? I graduated from college in 2009, which was not exactly the ideal time to be passing your resume around. People were like, that's adorable. She's pretending to get a job. I'm like, no, I'm trying to get a job. I'm desperately trying to get a job. And when the rest of my generation was, you know, that overeducated barista type, we had to realize why did I go to college? What am I going to do? And it's something that even in kind of the research world, we jokingly refer to as the quarter life crisis, this generation hitting 24, 25, 26, and then trying to decide what, what it is that they're going to do with their life. But this entitlement push really has come from expectations, sometimes set by very well-meaning parents, sometimes set by professors, sometimes set by society at large. But those expectations, when they're coming into, say, a political party, they're coming in and they're wanting to have their voice heard, they're wanting to have their opinions respected, they're wanting to be um, respected as an adult and not just as an intern or a child. And an older generation has a very different set of expectations. If you're of an older generation, you're probably raised that if you want Want something done right, you what? You do it yourself. We're working on a project right now on generational leadership styles. And what we've actually found is boomers tend to lead very top down, very structure process oriented. Generation X tends to lead from the side. So do I have any Gen Xers in, in here born between 1965 and 1980? Good. See, you're like, we've been here the entire time, right? <laughs> I work with a lot of Xers and they're like, no one ever talks about us. I'm like, I know. you. I was at a networking event about a year ago and I was talking to somebody. So what do you do? And I said, you know, I have a research and consulting training firm that we help, you know, generations work better together. We focus specifically on millennials. And he goes, you know, I'm Generation X and no one really did that for us. And I was like, I know. I said, you need representation. And as I'm talking, he goes, we don't need your help. And I was like... <laughs> You are very good about being Generation X. Generation X, very independent, very much, you know, don't tell me how to do it. I'm going to figure it out on my own. Millennials lead from the middle. If you want something done right and you're a millennial, you do it together. So you can already start to see how the implications of the socialist agenda really comes in, where people are really starting to prey on the fact that my generation from a very young age has been taught to do things collectively and to make sure everything is fair and balanced. No need to go into, you know, the fact that this idea of fairness and justice has completely been convoluted for many reasons because of our education system, where my generation has been taught, you know, it's not fair. Well, fairness is an opinion. Well, justice is a principle. And those are the, the, the principles that my generation needs to be reminded of. And so what we've actually found is in order to combat entitlement, you must reinforce it with resourcefulness. My generation is incredibly resourceful, but in, and oftentimes in all 
the wrong ways. Where my generation, if you say, hey, can you go you know, fix, fix an oil leak in your car, what are they gonna do? They're gonna Google it, right? They're gonna go on YouTube. I did, just for the record, I did try and change my oil from a video on YouTube. It did not go over well. Those pants will never be the same. It was just a mess. So not everything on the internet is as easy to use and apply as you would think. Uh, but this, this concept of teaching resourcefulness to the next generation is the most empowering thing that we can do to combat entitlement in our society, where we have to teach our generation not only what to do with their money, but how to make better decisions, how to pick a life partner, how to pick yourself up after you fail. Uh, as she mentioned before, I've played competitive tennis for years, and I have more trophies of, of tournaments that I never won than tournaments that I did win. And then everyone looks at our generation as the trophy generation, but oftentimes people aren't talking about who was giving us the trophies, right? No one wants to talk about the fact that me and my friends weren't cobbling together some of our, of our lunch money to make sure that, you know, I didn't get left out, right? It was all, you know, it was the work of very well-meaning parents and coaches who wanted to make sure that this next generation had an increase in self-awareness and self-respect. But unfortunately, because of that, my generation has actually learned how to become dependent upon other people for their own self-reliance and self-respect in many regards. Where other generations, you got, you know, you got kicked out or you left the house when you were 18, depending on how your parents were, right? And it was, okay, great, you're 18, you're an adult, invite me to your wedding and have a great life, right? And that was pretty much, that was it, right? But my generation, one third of all millennials who graduate from college this year will move back in with their parents after they graduate. One third. Now, the reason for that is vast, and it tends to all go down to student loan debt and opportunity. But what's fascinating is what we've actually found. Do you know whose idea it typically is for those millennials to move back in? It's their parents. I recently got married, and after we got married, my mother-in-law was very excited that she was like, oh, great, well, we've got this whole like suite downstairs, and you guys can move in whenever you want. It's like, that's okay, you know, I'm good for now, but I'm glad that that is on the back burner in case I go bankrupt, right? Like, that's a good option. But it was very well-meaning. She didn't mean anything by it. She just thought, well, why not? Why not save some money and we can all live together? I'm like, that is a little too close for comfort for me in my newlywed state, but thank you so much, right? This generation does have such a different relationship with their parents, which is certainly having an interesting effect. Uh, the second big principle that we've discovered when it comes to reaching this next generation, it really comes down to service and serving them. I have so many brands who come to us and say, how do we reach millennials? And they sit in beautiful glass conference rooms trying to come up with strategies to reach the next generation without ever leaving those beautiful glass rooms and asking the next generation, what is it that you want? As researchers, we found millennials, largest generation that's ever existed, right? It used to be baby boomers and then boomers had kids. Here's what no one is actually talking about. Why this conversation about millennials is so important. It's not because we're super special snowflakes and that we deserve a trophy just for existing. It really has everything to do with the fact that this next generation, Gen X, where I had you guys, some of you raise your hand, Generation X is one third the size of the baby boomer generation. We have 10,000 baby boomers hitting 65 every single day in this country. We have a leadership deficit that we're on the brink of. We're in the midst of the largest power handoff in history. And most organizations, let alone most companies and most movements, are not prepared for that. That there simply aren't enough of the next generation to take over those leadership positions as the baby boomers retire and move on. 
That's why this conversation about millennials is so important is because we have to start training the next generation faster, like what Morton's doing here at LI, because you have to make sure that this next generation is equipped, ready, and prepared with the principles as well as the action to be able to take that torch and move the and, and, and move it forward rather than just sitting and reacting and having to wake up one day and say, well, now what do we do? They're all gone. That's why this conversation is so incredibly powerful. That's why it's so important. So when it comes to reaching this generation, you have to serve them in a really authentic way when you realize what the major fears, hopes, and challenges are of the next generation. Who said student loan debt was a huge problem? Someone raised their hand. Yes, ma'am. The average millennial has $38,000 in student loan debt for undergrad alone. That's a huge, massive challenge when it comes to this next generation. You know the number one reason millennials are saying that they're not buying a home or starting a family? Student loan debt. So as conservatives, can we say that we're for traditional families and that we are for, you know, really starting this establishment of, of, of the foundation of who we are as a society, but we're not addressing the number one challenge our generation is crying out for help for? We saw it in the last election, and we're already starting to see it as we're ramping up for the next presidential. Student loan debt is going to be the linchpin to reach the millennial generation. And if conservatives, Republicans, and libertarians don't come up with a free market solution to student loan debt, they will lose millennials forever. This generation is crying out for a solution, and they will go to someone like a Bernie Sanders who says, free college for everyone, because they don't know any better. They've been told from such a young age, sure, college, you know, education is, is a privilege, it's a right. You should be able to do, you know, whatever it is that you want. Of course, we should be investing in you. But because of that, we've got a generation, again, back to those expectations that we're then having to right size on the other side of the debate. So the free market needs to come up with a solution. We've been working with a number of different agencies and organizations who already have the system in place. Uh, there are programs in place right now where, where corporations can actually uh, match the student loan payment of the individuals on their payroll. We're actually looking right now at how do we create a tax incentive program for doing that so more organizations can actually start to participate and benefit from it because this next generation is looking for a solution. And if we as a movement say, well, shame on you for taking out that student loan debt, we're not meeting them at their, at their biggest need. And, and meeting their need is the number one solution to be able to not only reach this next generation, but take them with you. Think about it in your own personal life. If you've ever tried to get someone to do anything for you, it usually helps to either butter them up or serve them in where they are. Or it's really hard to be mad at someone who's, you know, helping you out with something, right? When someone's kind of coming alongside you, going out of their way to serve you in your greatest need, that's not something that you're going to forget long term. We as a movement need to reach this next generation. And rather than throwing the name calling game out there and, and saying, well, how dare you think this? And you're an idiot if you think this. And I mean, what do you mean? Universal basic income. Are you crazy? This generation hasn't had the influences that many in this room have had. And so rather than looking at them as idiots, we need to start looking at my generation as victims, realizing that this generation has been indoctrinated from such a young age, and for many of them without them even knowing, realizing that this generation does need to have a revitalization in a really true and authentic way. And this next battle we're fighting for this generation and even for this country isn't going to be waged with words. It's going to be waged with actions. We as a generation need to come together and start to teach my generation why the free market works because of how it works for them. 
one of the books that's out there is called The Millennial Entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. It wasn't, it wasn't in the game plan for me to start my own company. Believe me, that wasn't, that wasn't the plan. My parents are entrepreneurs. And I remember getting picked up late from school and having to go sit in their office and having to come back home from family vacation in Hawaii because something went wrong with payroll. I remember the glamorous life of the entrepreneur. And I was like, I'm good, actually. So I, st- I chose a much more stable, you know, a, a type of work, type of career, which was uh, political campaigning. Uh, Thank you for laughing. It didn't go over incredibly well, especially running Republican campaigns in California and Hawaii. So I've been called an optimist and other bad words. So this generation is looking for the truth to be translated from an older generation. And I have um, such a warm spot in my heart for leaders like you in the room who are looking at doing that translation, whether you're 22 or 82, because this next generation really is in the crosshairs of making some of the biggest decisions in their entire life. And this generation is desperate for information. I did a year-long study on millennials and financial uh, independence, and what we actually found was doing small groups, focus groups, et cetera, that millennials said, these were everything from you know, recent graduates to individuals who just purchased a house. Here's what they said. They said that they were desperate for financial information, but they were too embarrassed to ask for help. We saw a generation who knew that they needed to make wise financial decisions. However, they didn't know who to go to because they felt, because they were the Google generation, that they should know the answer already. We can't assume that this generation is going to Google their way into making better life decisions, into how they're going to be voting. This next generation is going to be influenced from the people in this room because of what what it is that we're doing for them, not doing to them. We need to come alongside this next generation and help them start and grow a career that's exciting and meaningful and purpose-driven. In my book, The Millennial Entrepreneur, I wanted to study what the future is going to look like based off of this millennial need for starting things. We're an incredibly entrepreneurial generation. 67% of millennials have said that they want to start their own business one day. 67. Now, should all of them? Absolutely not. However, 67% of people have raised their hand and said, yes, I actually, I, I want to have an independent lifestyle. I want to be able to manage my own time. I think I have something the market will, will want to pursue. What would it look like if Chambers of Commerce did mentoring programs in high schools and colleges teaching people about what the free market actually means? What would it look like if you as a parent got together and had a coaching session with with, uh, young professionals about how to make good financial planning decisions? What would it look like if we as a community started to have more authentic conversations about how to make great business decisions or whether or not this is a good idea or not or should you get a loan? Those are the conversations. When we win those, we'll start winning elections because this generation wants to know the practical before we know our principles. We've been coming at them with principles for so long, which are powerful and true, but my generation doesn't know what the Constitution is. My generation doesn't know what you mean by, you know, yeah, we're, we're for the free market. What does that mean for me? Creating pictures with your words is only going to go so far as to inspire them. But if you want to motivate them to action, we must come alongside and partner with my generation. The third big solution that I've, that I've found works when it comes to reaching this next generation is to help them find their purpose. Now, purpose is a very fluffy term. I realize that when people are like, I'm just, you know, I'm living my best life now. I think I'm just on purpose right now, right? This idea that, oh, pursue your purpose is something that has really gotten away from the core of who we are as individuals and who we are as a movement. Helping people find their purpose is helping them not only find their why, but applying it into the marketplace. 
I'm working on a book right now with my husband called The Purpose Equation, where we actually detail out how to find your purpose and how to apply it in a way that's meaningful to you in your career. And what we found, we worked with CEOs, we've worked with millennials, we've worked with stay-at-home moms on this, we've worked with major celebrities, helping them find their purpose and apply it in what it is that they're doing. And I can tell you, when you help someone find their purpose, find why they're here and how to plug it into whatever movement that looks like, there's not only extreme loyalty, there's extreme relativity. You're now relevant to who it is that that person says that they want to be. You then come around them to be able to help them pursue ultimately why they're here on this earth. And that's really what it's all about. It's not just about the politics. It's not just about who gets elected and who doesn't get elected. It's who we are as individuals. It's who we are as a community. It's who we are as a country. And when we start to have those really authentic conversations of helping people find not just their passion, my generation has been lied to and just said, pursue your passion. Okay, great. You know, that's going to get me as far as Pinterest. And then after that, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my Tuesday, right? This generation isn't just here to have a very passionate life. Passion is in the moment. I can be extremely passionate about my lunch, which I typically am, but that does not mean that that is my purpose. Passion is just a key. Passion really should be more uh, better phrases. What's the one thing in the world you want your life to solve? What's the one problem in the world that you want your life to solve? That should be your passion. That's the thing that should keep you up at night and keep you uh, and wake you up in the morning. You have to think about what someone's story is. Why is it the, that they believe what they believe or what happened to them and what can happen because because of them. Those are the types of conversations that we need to be having with this next generation because if we help invest in them, I know that we're going to have more authentic conversations and this conversation about, you know, whether or not gener- this next generation is, you know, the death or the life of the movement. I think we'll be silenced quickly when we realize that this generation is desperate for mentorship, authenticity and having someone teach us how to live a resourceful and a purpose-driven life.